0: Karaoke, it's not a foxtrot or a polka. It has a little bit of blue rhythm, rhythm that's soft. It, me- it has a meter that is tricky, a bit of wiki waki wiki. But when you dance it
1: with a new- hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And my movie today is a uh, favorite of mine. In fact, this is one of the, I've said this before, the three movies I used to show all my friends in college, they were required to know these movies before they were allowed to be friends with me. (laughs) Hate to say it that way, but if you're going to get my movie references, there's three movies you have to know, and I've already done uh, the other two on Staff Picks, History of the World Part 1, A Fish Called Wanda, and the dirtiest one of them all, the 1977 masterpiece of juvenile filth, The Kentucky Fried Movie. And that's what we'll be talking about today, The Kentucky Fried Movie, an anthology movie, 1977, they used to bill it as the R-rated version of Saturday Night Live. And I think that's even underselling it a little. It's, it's much harder than R-rated. It's straight-up porn in a couple of points, which, again, as a kid, I loved. But this is a movie that was so notorious when I was a kid because kids were not supposed to see it, and it was, like, heavily reinforced. Kids shouldn't see this, so, of course, every kid wanted to see it. And I've loved it for years. It's a little dated now, but I don't care because so the funny stuff really is still funny and really holds up. And so we'll be delving into the infamous Kentucky Fried movie. And my guest today is uh, an old friend of mine. I knew him from way back in the day, Bellevue, Washington, back in the 80s. And we haven't really known each other or stayed in touch over the years, but I'm following up because when I knew I was doing Kentucky Fried Movie, I'm like, I have to get this guy on the podcast. And he's going to laugh when I tell him why. I'm not sure he even realizes why I picked him. But uh, let's see, an old friend of mine, he lives up in the Northwest. He's a. Uh, a very funny guy uh, musician at times works for a supply chain but none of that's important because all I have to all I have to point out is he is a Kentucky fried movie fan so welcome to the show my old friend Jeff Parker
0: thank you I'm very happy to be here
1: now Jeff you have no idea why I picked you do you uh, I don't <laughs> okay uh, look, before I will give you a chance to talk about yourself and introduce yourself, but first I have to say this. So when my brother and I were growing up in Bellevue, we were very sheltered. We were not allowed to watch R-rated movies. Nothing dirty. Nothing even close to dirty. However, we always had friends at school who were more than happy to share their knowledge of profanity and dirty movies with us. And Jeff Parker. I always remember him because that kid had the filthiest mouth I have ever known of any kid growing up, and my brother was always really high. Jeff is the funniest kid I know, and I believe we probably learned of this movie from you. So yeah, somehow it's a correlation in my head. I always think Jeff Parker probably introduced us to the Kentucky Fried movie, so thank you for that wonderful day when we were about 10.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's likely that I did, in fact, introduce you guys to the Kentucky Fried movie. Um <laughs> I, I definitely was not brought up as a sheltered kid. Uh, I, uh, you know, my, my mother was a, uh, a single parent and a, a collegiate, uh, all-star athlete. And then she went on to coach as well. So I spent a lot of time, uh, back and forth between mom's house and the grandparents and the grandparents, you know, uh, had HBO and, uh, were pretty laissez-faire about what my sister and I watched on it. um, But yeah, this movie, I probably, I want to say it ran on HBO in probably 1983, 84 was the first time I saw it as a seven or eight year old kid, which is, this movie is obviously super inappropriate (laughs) for a seven or eight year old kid to see. Um, But I can honestly say, like, like you were saying earlier, it's in my top three of movies that kind of shaped my sense of humor growing up, I believe. Um, the first movie being another one on your list, uh, History of the World Part One, uh, the second being this, and the third being Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Um, and they're all kind of anthology, skit, sketch-based movies, and, and I think just as a young kid, I could really devour that, you know, in the, the small bites of, of comedy, and it would jump from, you know, one gag to the next, and I, I, I just ate it up. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for people who don't maybe not know this movie, this movie is just a sense of little comedy sketches, and I'm gonna really gonna be selling it to a bunch of younger listeners who have never heard of this movie before. It's it's uh yeah, just comedy sketches. It's like Saturday Night Live. There's no overarching plot. There's no storyline. It's just a bunch of improvisational comedians that had been working with this movie on this uh, material on stage for years. They decided to move it into a movie format, and why it's important to me and why I think it's important to everybody is that the people who made this movie later became later made airplane the naked gun uh top secret police squad this was like their dry run for all those movies so it's very important to watch this movie and you can see how airplane later developed
0: well and also uh not just the writers but the director john landis you know (laughs) obviously became a super famous director after this and and this kind of From what I read, this is really what landed him the job in Animal House to direct Animal House. And then obviously his career really took off from there, you know, doing everything from the Blues Brothers to, you know, Three Amigos and Spies Like Us and and all kinds of classic movies that I'm I'm sure you loved as well growing up. Um, You know, he he directed Thriller, American Werewolf in London, but uh, he really started here with the Kentucky Pride movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is a it's a really important movie in the history of comedy although i think jeff you'd probably agree with me it maybe doesn't hold up all that well for a modern audience
0: uh yeah definitely not i mean you know obviously uh 1977 is a a completely different era (laughs) than what we live in here in 2020 um you know not just some of the material doesn't hold up just because people wouldn't be completely familiar with what they're you know lampooning in the first place and then some of it gets a little uh, uh, a little to the racist, uh, racy side where, you know, things were a little uh, a little looser back in 77. And we've, we've come a long way with political correctness. And, you know, which is a good thing, I think, uh, you know, rewatching this movie, a couple of the, a couple of the skits made me cringe <laughs> a little bit, you know, <laughs> in this 2020 age. But, you know, it's a small part of the film
1: how dare you suggest that danger seekers might be racist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Danger seekers and, uh, the, uh, extracting the oil from the combs in in Italy. (laughs) Some of the other things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, my, my only real beef with this movie is that they love to parody commercials that were popular at that time. So like, there's no, like even as a kid in the eighties, I didn't know some of the source material they're making fun of. That was like popular that week in a commercial. So that's my only beef, but like, The stuff that's funny in this movie, I have to say is some of the funniest material I've ever seen in the seventies or eighties. And I'm really talking about the last sketch in particular eyewitness news. (laughs) So I am just, I'm warning people this movie veers into some very inappropriate directions, like way further than you're expecting from most comedies. So this is really going to make your, uh, it's a phrase I use a lot on staff picks. It'll make your butthole pucker up a little bit on some of the stuff.
0: (laughs) Well, well, and and yeah, the last sketch too. Uh, it's funny you bring that up because I, I had made a note about that. It's not just obviously the uh, the sexual part of it's you know funny and, and all that, but it it kind of has a deeper like Orwellian 1984 kind of thing going on with the two way TV. It's it's almost kind of parodying that as well. I think I, I don't know if that was intentional or not.
1: <laughs> I'm guessing not. I'm guessing they just wanted boobs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm just trying to look for deeper meaning in something. Okay.
1: now, again, it was funny because when I brought Jeff on, the first question I said is I haven't talked to him in like 30 years. And I'm like, please tell me you're not a priest or like a man of God. Now we have to be able to talk about this movie on its basis level. So I'm very excited to know that you still appreciate this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Although, would I be wrong in saying it's straight up porn at a couple points? Uh, he, he, it's definitely
0: soft core porn at a minimum. <laughs> at some points. <laughs> I think they actually show even more skin than some of the Skinamax flicks back in the day at some point. So, yeah, you could probably say it, it, it's getting into the porn zone in a couple places.
1: <laughs> and the, the other funny thing about this movie is they used to rerun this on late night cable all the time, like USA Up All Night and stuff. And they would cut it out. They would cut out a lot of the movie. And even the cut down version was really racy and really inappropriate for kids. And I loved it so much. But, oh, my God, when I finally saw the unedited one, I'm like, wow, this movie is really pushing boundaries
0: (laughs) yes (laughs) you know i don't believe that i've ever seen the edited version for television just because um like i said i I grew up as a young child with the real thing so later in life when it was being played on usa all night and stuff i'm like "Ah, i can't really watch a pared down version
1: of that (laughs) (laughs) yeah surprisingly catholic high school girls in trouble was cut out entirely on the usa network jeff Oh, I'm sure. Terrible. It's terrible, the oppression that we lived under as children in the 80s.
0: <laughs> yes, very oppressed and repressed. <laughs> yes,
1: But again, I was so glad to hear that Jeff still likes this movie because if there's any kid I knew had probably seen this movie unedited as a child, it was you. And you, and you influenced my sense of humor so much just because, again, my parents raised Dom and me like veal. So we needed some funny, cool kids to teach us how to be funny. So I'm very excited to finally bring you full circle back to talk about, obviously, one of the funniest movies I have ever seen. I love this movie so much.
0: Yeah, it's it. it I, I really enjoyed. Like I said, I've watched it a couple times in the past. You know, few days to uh, to just catch up on everything and take some notes and stuff. And. It it was very enjoyable to see it again. It's been years. And, uh, you know, I I, I reference this movie still all the time in, in, you know, social settings, like at work and stuff. I'll I'll tell people, you know, when they screw up that I'm going to send them to Detroit (laughs) and it goes right over their heads.
1: (laughs) I was going to ask, how do you possibly reference Kentucky Fried Movie? You found one of the rare, rare ways to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at me with that blank face and I'll be like, you don't you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know the Kentucky Fried movie. And it's always no. What is that? And then I have to pull out the YouTube and show them the clip of send him to Detroit. And then they get it. And we all have laugh.
1: And again, for people who know anything about the history of comedy, that's a joke they would later use an airplane. That's a very famous joke. Ted Stryker, when he's in the bar, he's like, this bar was the worst I've ever been in. It was worse than Detroit. All that comes from the Kentucky Fried movie. That's what needs to be said here.
0: The Zucker brothers and uh, Jim Abrams just have a real
1: problem with Detroit, apparently. <laughs> Not only that, I think there's two Detroit jokes in one scene in this movie. They really hated Detroit in the 70s.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the other thing that, that I realized re-watching this, um, I don't know if you've seen that meme going around that talks about how uh, it shows pictures of all kinds of people sinking in quicksand, and, and it says, you know, from watching 80 movie, 80s movies, I thought quicksand would be a much bigger problem than it is. Um, for me, from this movie and the airplane movies, it's the same with Hare Krishna's for me. I, I just thought <laughs> Hare Krishna's were everywhere growing up because they were in all the 80s movies I loved. But I don't know that I've ever seen one in real life.
1: Yeah, they do seem to be, very, be a little overrepresented in the Zucker movies.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Now, do you know the history of how this movie came about? Because I've been reading up about it on this
0: um I do i uh i i of course uh doing some research here read the wikipedia page and and some other stuff and and yeah i I, I knew some of it from way back when but uh not all of it i I didn't realize uh that they put out this movie after going through all the studios and getting rejected over and over again and having to, you know, make a 10 minute short and, and show it. And finally they got their funding. I didn't realize they did this on only a $650,000 budget that made several $7 million at the box office.
1: Okay. Why don't you give people a little, uh, wrap up then on how this movie came about? Cause I think the story behind it is actually kind of fascinating.
0: Yeah. So, um, the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams, um, had put together a concept for the movie uh, based on uh, an improv troupe that they were in called the Kentucky Fried Theater. Uh, so they had all these sketches and they wanted to make it into a full, full length feature movie. So they went around to the studios to try to push it. And the studios, of course all rejected them saying, you know, audiences don't want to see sketch comedy like all la Saturday night live on the big screen. Um, finally they they came across a uh, real estate investor who offered to finance the film if they wrote the script which they did and then the investor dropped out uh because he didn't want to finance the film alone um eventually they decided to pay for it themselves and shoot a 10 minute uh short that cost them about thirty five thousand dollars. and they again approached the hollywood studios with it this time um they had john landis attached to the project, which the, the only thing he had done prior to that was a movie called Schlock, which um, didn't do very well, but years later was seen by Johnny Carson and Johnny Carson loved it and, and pushed it and, and backed it. And it finally got a, a release. Um, so with Landis on board and the thirty five thousand dollar ten minute short that they filmed, uh, they persuaded an exhibitor to show it before one of his you know regular films and when the guy watched it and the rest of the audience watched it, they, they died laughing. Um, so at that point, you know, they, they had the financial backing they needed and uh, they went ahead.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing that's really interesting to me about this movie is that a lot of people don't realize this wasn't unique new material. This was material that these guys had done in the Kentucky Fried Theater for a couple years on their stage improvisational, but just the general themes that they tended to get to in their jokes. And they knew that it worked. They're like, you know, this is an experimental movie. There aren't really, there's a movie like the, called The Groove Tube that was earlier than this, same type of deal. But like, yeah, this was proven material that worked. They knew they had to get it into a movie and they eventually were proven correct when it became a big hit. And then it became Airplane later. Again, there's so many things in Kentucky Fried Movie that are like a dry run for Airplane. You can see where Airplane came from. But yeah, that's the thing. This was proven material. They already knew work. They just had to figure out how to get it on the screen and B, get somebody else to pay for it.
0: You know, and and, uh, another thing I I looked into, which I have notes here for um, the reviews of the movie or some of them are are just fantastic. I don't know if you read any of them. (laughs) No. So Lawrence Van Gelder of The New York Times wrote, quote, lots of people will probably like the Kentucky Fried movie just as they like Kentucky Fried chicken and McDonald's hamburgers. But popularity is still no reason for deifying mediocrity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gene siskel uh gave the film two out of four stars and wrote the best moments of this film are one joke gags its writers can't sustain their humor for longer pieces so what you're left with is half a dozen decent gags one overlong karate flick and a few shots of bare breasts thrown in into titillate teenage boys
1: <laughs> well, let's point out those are not shots of bare breasts these are full-on scenes is featuring bare breasts yeah,
0: absolutely with uh With a wet balloon sound
1: effects. (laughs) (laughs) Again, my parents were not interested in letting me see this movie. We were supposed to see Pete's Dragon and the Black Stallion. That was the extent of how dirty our movies could be. This was way beyond that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Again, (laughs) I grew up in a pretty laissez-faire environment. When it came to that, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and of course, I was more than happy to share my my film knowledge with any other eight, nine, and ten year olds that uh, wanted to listen.
1: <laughs> I'm proud to say, Jeff, this is the highest compliment I can use and give to a human being. I truly believe my brother and I learned the word "butt fucking" from you. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, so in any case, yeah. I, I, again, I was too young to see this movie in the theater. It came out when I was three years old. I was not going to see it. And, but I have a lot of relatives that have seen this movie. They saw it growing up. And I remember I have an Uncle Tom. I asked him once. I said, hey, Kentucky Fried Movie, did you ever see that? He's like, oh, yeah, I saw that in the theater. He's like, but trust me, you saw that in the drive-in, and that's not the type of movie where you actually watch the movie if you get my drift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of a lot of fornication came out of this movie. That's all the only just that's the gist of his argument to me. And I appreciate that. I wonder if there
0: are any, you know, or how many uh, Kentucky Fried movie driving babies are out there and from our generation.
1: I can't tell you how many kids I know named Big Jim Slade. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to get into this, one of the most infamous comedies ever made, and again, hold on to your butts as they say in Jurassic Park, uh, because this one is hardcore. This, you thought the South Park movie was hardcore, this one might top that one. Although, did you hear that David Letterman was originally, he auditioned for this movie?
0: Yes, he, he, he wanted to be the, uh, uh, the news desk guy.
1: That would have been so cool if Letterman is all of a sudden in this movie now. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) But it's still got Donald Sutherland and George Lazenby, so.
1: Oh, one other piece of trivia I want to talk before we mention before we delve into the movie. Did you notice, have you ever looked at the end credits and they're in a totally different order than the movie?
0: Yes, I just noticed that today actually as i was i was i was re-watching it again this morning mm-hmm. <laughs> it says cast in order of appearance and then it's completely just jumbled <laughs>
1: it's weird like i have no idea what the psychology was why certain sketches were in certain places in the movie but apparently there was a lot of thought behind it and there's one in, in particular called fixative which is in the credits but it's not in the movie so i always wonder what that was
0: you know, I didn't notice that. Now when we're done with this, I'm going to go back and I'm going to rewatch just the credits and try to make sense
1: of yes. this. You have to wonder how crappy a sketch was if it got cut from this movie, which was 80 minutes long to begin with.
0: If, I mean, if, if, it, if it got beat out by the, uh, the car alarm sketch, then <laughs> <laughs> it must have been pretty lackluster.
1: Okay, Jeff, so are you ready to delve into the Kentucky Fried movie, Sketch by Sketch?
0: The popcorn you're
1: eating's been pissed in. Film at 11. <laughs> yes. Okay, again, there's no storyline in this movie. It's just a bunch of comedy sketches. I think there's about 20 of them or so. And some of them don't hold up well. This is an argument you'll see a lot. Oh, that that type of humor wouldn't be appropriate for modern audiences. My audi- my argument to that would be it wasn't appropriate to audiences then either, so it's fine.
0: Yeah, that's, that's. there's something to be said for that argument. That is very true.
1: Okay, so the first sketch is Argon Oil, one of the most forgettable sketches in the movie. Um,
0: yeah, it's 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 not the movie at its finest. It it's it's funny. It it's it, uh, it's a funny gag. You know, I, I think if they would have just kept it to taking the oil out of teenagers' faces and not really moved beyond there, it could have been a uh, a 30-second clip in the film and not a two-minute clip, and you probably wouldn't have lost anything.
1: Okay, well, explain this what this clip is to people who may have never seen it before. So uh, this is
0: uh, about an oil company called Argon Oil, and it's a commercial basically touting how they are um, looking into all sorts of Different forms of alternative energy, which you know is, is a, I guess, noble, something we're still looking to do today. So, <laughs> so it, it holds up. Um, but the company has decided to delve into uh, trying to extract oil from uh, teenagers' faces, and so it goes across this row of teenagers who all have, you know, acne in one degree or another, and they've got these suction cups attached to their faces, and they're extracting the. Uh, oil from them. Uh, then it dives into some other ways they're uh, extracting natural gas and oil, uh, i.e. taking uh, combs out of the trash from Italy, um, <laughs> which, again, may be a little bit racist.
1: You know, well, I got to point out, I'm Italian, and that's very much on brand. So that, there is some truth to that.
0: Well, if it doesn't offend you, then I guess we're good.
1: No, I'm good. That gets the Italian seal of approval, extracting oil from Italian people's combs.
0: and of course extracting natural gas from the uh chili dog hamburger hut in uh, texas and you just
1: hear of course all the
0: flatulence and people farting in the background
1: (laughs) well i'm glad you pointed out this is a two minute sketch because that's one thing that really stands out to me when i watch this movie how short some of these sketches are like you watch saturday night live now and the sketches are like seven ten twelve minutes sometimes I don't think they're like there's only the, the fistful of yen is a good thirty five, forty minutes. And otherwise you have twenty one sketches that make up like forty minutes. There there's nothing that's more than two minutes long.
0: And and actually I think this movie's at its best with the sketches that stay in the two minute range and, and kind of uh kind of veers a little when it gets into the longer sketches, like the courtroom sketch in the end and is about seven minutes long and The uh, feel around sketch is like five minutes long. It could probably have been shorter, but I I definitely think it's at its best with the uh, scenes that are, you know, the one, two minute quick scenes. And of course, Fistful again is is (laughs) perfect.
1: Although that does remind me of one thing. Have you ever listened to the director's commentary on this movie or any Zucker Brothers movie?
0: You know, I haven't.
1: They are the worst. Never, ever listen. All they do is sit there and say, I don't remember this. Oh, this joke isn't funny. Oh, remember when we worked with this actor who wasn't even in this scene, and they just go on a speech about this actor? They add nothing. They have no memory of these movies. They sound so dull. And it's amazing those guys made this movie.
0: Well, cocaine's a hell of a drug, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's go into one of the first sketches that's more than a couple minutes, the AM Today News.
0: Yeah, and this one, I think, is another one of the longer ones that actually – it does well. Um, it, it, cause it's, it's, it's kind of centered on a, a morning, you know, good morning America type local good morning America type show. Um, and you know, so it, it's not just, it's jumping around to different stories within the sketch. So, so I think that makes it work as a, as a longer, longer piece in this movie.
1: Yeah. I like this one. Like, I don't think this is one of the stronger sketches in the whole movie, but I have a bunch of stuff circled little quotes that I've been using for years that I kind of forget even come from this sketch. Yeah. (laughs) I have. Please give me the honor of quoting the astrology report, which is the one that I always use. (laughs) Have at it. (laughs) So back in the 70s, they used to have a daily astrological report in their newscasts, and they have one in this too. And there's a fantastically savage quote right at the start where the newscaster says... Just a quick reminder, these astrological reports are not intended to foster a belief in astrology, but merely to support people who cannot take responsibility for their own lives. You
0: know, it's funny, I have that written down right here, too, because <laughs> that really stuck with me.
1: <laughs> that is such a mean-spirited quote, and I love it. It's so wordy, but it just is savage. <laughs> okay, why don't you give us, they name four different astrological signs and what they should look forward to in their future. Well, first
0: we start with Libra which is um, they're playing it straight with the Libra. Uh, You know, you should, I I believe it was, hold off on that that large purchase. Now is not the time to make a a big financial decision. And then we move on to Virgo. Um, Expect the untimely death or tragic dismemberment of a loved one or family member.
1: (laughs) And she reads it so pleasantly. I love her reading of that line.
0: Just just. Yeah, she's just playing it straight. Um, If you're a Pisces, now is a good time to pull the plug on that machine that the dot been keeping your daughter alive for the last six months. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a Taurus, see a florist.
1: (laughs) That's so stupid. I don't know. But I've repeated that for years because I am a Taurus.
0: Yeah, and it's stupid. But in the context of this whole joke, it, it works. It's funny.
1: For years, anybody ever asked me what I am, I say, I'm a Taurus, that means I should see my florist, and nobody ever gets that joke.
0: (laughs) Well, at least you're not a Gemini.
1: (laughs) No, because what happens if you're a Gemini, Jeff?
0: Well, then you need to expect the unexpected, and you're probably going to get shot in the chest by an arrow.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is a running joke through the movie. We'll see it three different times. If someone is a Gemini, they will be immediately shot in the chest with a bow and arrow from off camera. (laughs)
0: and it just comes out of nowhere. I mean, obviously, the first time I saw this film was a long, long time ago. And I I don't remember my initial reaction to seeing that. But uh, I've shown this film to other people, you know, over the years. And that always just gets them when she gets shot with the arrow after saying, if you're a Gemini like me, well, expect the unexpected.
1: (laughs) And she has this great face when she gets shot. She keels over (laughs) It's just. Again, some stuff in this movie doesn't work ever. It's, it's too, too dated. But there's some stuff that's universally funny, just the way you set up gags and do payoffs. The arrow shooting the astrologist is fantastic.
0: And then the, the next part of the bit uh, where they do the uh, the zoo lady brings out some animals on the show. You've, you've seen it happen a hundred times on morning shows all, all over the place. But uh, she brings out the little... Uh, endangered gerbil, and they're talking about how delicate it is and how cute. No, oh, I'd like to get one of these for a pet. Well, you know, we really need to keep them in captivity because they're they're very fragile creatures. So now let's bring out the next animal, and she just tosses the gerbil like, nonchalantly over her shoulder, and you just hear it like thud against the wall, and uh and that leads to Dino the gorilla.
1: Yeah, that gerbil gag is great. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a gag I saw in a lot of '80s stuff. That's a classic silly gag where you're talking about a little cute animal, and then they cut away. And when you cut back to the person, they're holding a stuffed animal, and they just throw the the cute little animal down to the ground or somewhere. I saw Weird Al do that. I've seen that on sitcoms. But it all started here in the Kentucky Fried movie. They invented that gag.
0: Circa 1977, yes.
1: Although, I want to bring up, before we talk about Dino the Gorilla, I want to talk about the uh, point counterpoint. No, for people who may not know, this was a regular feature on the news back in the 70s. They would have these two, you know, an economist and like a, some other politician, and they'd argue. And it was always a liberal and a conservative. It was just they'd like to have debates on the news, which I'd be horrified if they tried to do that on the news now. It would never work.
0: Yeah, it would never work now. But and again, in this film, it's not point counterpoint, but it's 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 count, pointer count.
1: Yes. And again they do this gag in airplane as well but they start it here in Kentucky Fried Movie important to point out. <laughs> so this one there I, yeah I forget what they're talking about but I'll just sum it up that uh the 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 conservative man says something about how liberals are all bleeding hearts blah 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 and then they cut to the liberal woman who's this older woman And I love her quote because I've been quoting this again for years. It's amazing how many quotes I get from this movie where she says, John, you old stick in the mud. I've been listening to that horse shit of yours for months. And you can take that crap and blow it out your ass. And for good measure, sit on this, John. And she holds up her middle finger, which is a very lovely speech from a kindly older woman.
0: It works perfectly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And all throughout the newscast, we have this guy, Ron Butler, their man on the street, who his earpiece isn't working.
0: Yeah, and so we we, we catch him picking his nose and and, and picking at the crack of his ass. (laughs) (laughs) They just keep cutting to him and cutting him away.
1: Although there's a great payoff to that later when we find out that Ron's a Gemini, which means what, Jeff?
0: Uh, Expect the unexpected. (laughs) Well, actually, I think the way he phrases it, being a Gemini, I never know what to expect.
1: And he is immediately taken out by a bow and arrow. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ron, how do
0: you think the vote with the teachers union is going to go? Well, I think that the teachers would like to get back to work, but being a Gemini, I never know what to expect.
1: Thwock. So, again, we're a couple the minutes into the movie. We've already insulted Italian people. We've insulted everybody who follows astrology. We have thrown out an old woman saying horse shit in during count, pointer count.
0: Uh, we've uh, angered PETA by tossing an endangered gerbil against a wall. Um, and our popcorn's been pissed in.
1: And don't forget, we've made jokes about people who have children in vegetative states who are going to die.
0: This too, yes. We're doing pretty good for the first, uh, what we're, we're not even eight minutes of runtime into the film yet.
1: Yes, we're nowhere near danger seekers yet. <laughs> okay, so the newscast sketch ends with the gorilla who has impotence. He gets sexually frustrated and savages the uh, the whole set, whatever. Not that big a deal.
0: Well, and it's funny because Dino, the gorilla, is doing just fine until, until the lady says out loud, I think he might be impotent. <laughs> the newscaster's impotent, huh? You know, and then the, the gorilla just loses his shit, which I think was kind of a... Uh, A running kind of gag in in a lot of late 70s, early 80s stuff, too, where if you even brought up that someone was impotent, they'd they'd lose their shit.
1: (laughs) That was a classic trope in sitcoms back then?
0: I I believe, yeah. I've seen it in more than one place. I've seen it more than just here.
1: I remember that episode when Mr. Furley went on a rampage in Three's Company because of that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I always thought of mr furley to be so virile but you know <laughs> they all hide secrets jeff they all do
0: <laughs> everyone's got okay. skeletons in the closet
1: <laughs> okay now we go to the sketch that you've already taken a dig at the seatbelt guy which somehow made the final cut of this movie
0: i mean uh 24 seconds of filler it's 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 uh it's an all right gag but you know the guy gets in the car, all the alarms are going off. He puts on the seatbelt, one goes off. And as he's, you know, putting his keys in the ignition, setting off the park break, all these different bells and alarms stop. And he's got the one final alarm buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and he can't figure out what it is. And he looks down and zips up his fly and eh, meh, it's, it's not it's not the finest of the movie. I-
1: I'm guessing that's one of those bits that probably works well on the stage. Like this kills for 20 seconds.
0: Yeah, 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 but on, on the big screen, not so much.
1: On the big screen, it's just a setup for the wonderful next movie in the mo- in the Kentucky Fried movie, Catholic High School Girls in Trouble.
0: You know, brought to you by maybe one of the best producers in the 70s, Samuel L. Bronkowitz. <laughs> yes.
1: Now, Jeff, how are we possibly going to talk about Catholic High School Girls in Trouble?
0: Well, I guess, you know, we just got to start from the top, um... More offensive than Mandingo.
1: (laughs) Let me me point that out. I didn't get that joke until I was much older. Me neither.
0: Of course. I didn't get it when I was eight, but...
1: Sadly, this flew over our heads.
0: More erotic than Deep Throat, and it's just a topless lady flossing her teeth in the mirror.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I got to explain this joke to people. Mandingo, if you've never seen it, I will really choose my words wisely here is a uh, movie about, was it a, a slave plantation where the, there's a romance between the mistress and one of the slaves that was very, very racy for the time because you were not supposed to show interracial love scenes and it was considered very controversial. So in this movie, they say Catholic high school girls is more offensive than Mandingo. And they prove that by showing a post-coital shot of a little white Southern girl who's about seven sitting next to a slave in bed and they're both looking satisfied. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I guess I missed that one as a kid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That joke went over my head as a kid too. But, you know, rewatching it, I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is where the, uh, you know, we've we've been through the first eight minutes or so of the film when we get to this part. And and I think this is where the movie just said,
1: you know, fuck it. Hold my beer. (laughs) Yes. Again, we're not even 10 minutes into the movie. (laughs) This rivals Uncle Fucka being at the start of the South Park movie. Like, you got to hit the audience hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and they do. They hit you hard with Catholic high school girls in trouble.
1: (laughs) So we're advertising a fictional porn film, which is really close to a real porn film, apparently, because you see a lot. And like I said, more shocking than Behind the Green Door, more offensive than Mandingo, more erotic than Deep Throat. And here's a line you wouldn't hear in most movies of the time period. You will cream in your jeans when you see Catholic high school girls in trouble.
0: (laughs) I did catch that reference as an eight-year-old, oddly enough.
1: (laughs) I would hope so, Jeff. I would have expected that from you. (laughs) You were our shining beacon on the hill of of profanity and humor.
0: You know, and... (laughs) We can. I mean, we could probably spend an hour just talking about Catholic high school girls in trouble, even though it's only a two-minute clip
1: of the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is it's legitimately funny. Like there's some really good puns and jokes in this sketch, but it always gets cut on TV, so people wouldn't know that.
0: Yeah, it, where where it's like introducing Susan whatever and Nancy whatever, and you got the three naked chicks sitting there, and she's all, "Susan, this is Nancy. Nancy, this is Susan." <laughs>
1: That is such an airplane joke. That's the thing. I love that kind of humor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the one, the one that I never really got. It, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's a pun, obviously. But when the lady says, "Show me your nuts," to Stephen Bishop, and he he just starts making all the funny hand signals and voices and shit, I'm like, as a child, I thought that that might happen someday. But you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old, and no one has ever asked me to show them my nuts
1: (laughs) sadly because we've had that punchline saved up for all these years and
0: i I don't know if you know this but but the guy in that part are you familiar with who stephen bishop is
1: i don't know who he is i just saw he's in the credits as a thank you
0: yeah he um he is actually a, a, a big soft rock guy from the 70s he had like a gold record uh he did that that on and on song and he actually was nominated uh for an Academy Award for uh the song It Might Be You from Tootsie. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there he is in the Kentucky Fried movie showing the lady his nuts.
1: <laughs> you know, he couldn't have been that soft if he was hanging out with Susan Joyce and Nancy Reeves. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Had to say it.
0: <laughs> and then we go from there to uh the guys in bed, uh thinking he's, he's having sex with his girlfriend and then realizes that, that it's his girlfriend's mom. <laughs> I thought you were Dale! And then she breaks yeah. the fourth wall and looks to the audience and says, you know, people often mistake me for my teenage daughter, Dale.
1: Do you know what that's a parody of? I didn't learn that until much later. Uh, I would assume it's a parody of The Graduate. No, that's actually a parody of a... This will make the joke even better for you. There was a dishwashing... Uh, detergent uh, dishwashing lotion commercial in the 70s with this woman who had really uh, young-looking hands because she used the dishwashing liquid, and so people would often mistake her for her daughter Dale. <laughs> okay, it must have been Pamala softening sands while you do the dishes, right? Something like that. But yeah, that's what that's a parody of. So now it's a sex joke where when guys bang her, they think she's her da- teenage daughter. <laughs> And I got to give a shout out to one of the great Zucker Abrams parody or uh, pun lines ever. wordplay. they love these wordplay jokes where they say, <laughs> "Introducing Linda Chambers, recreating her famous role, and it's just her rolling down the hill." <laughs> I mean, come on, that's universal huh? humor. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh,
0: after that, you get to the the really pornographic part of this, which is the shower scene. <laughs> um where the man is massaging the woman's breasts and it's just got that sound effect going in the background of like wet, wet balloons being rubbed. (laughs) And, uh, and then he uh, is taking her from behind and her, her her tits are smashing up against the uh, shower glass as the voiceover guy is saying never before has the beauty of the sexual act been so crassly exploited. (laughs)
1: When I'm a 10 year old boy, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen. A <laughs> naked woman having sex, as you're seeing her th- repeatedly thrust against the front of a sh- glass shower door. And you see it from the other side.
0: Yeah, and you know, it really, that part of the film really gave me some uh, uh, expectations. That, uh, yeah, just never came to fruition in growing life. I I, I thought from watching that that sex in the shower was like the penultimate, the best thing ever. And uh, realized when I was older that now sex in the shower is not that great. (laughs) One person's always cold.
1: Yeah, it's a sad lesson we all must learn one day. (laughs) Someone's always got the water in their eyes. It's terrible.
0: (laughs) And water kind of uh, affects, you know, the body's natural lubricants. So it's just it's not good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Little PSA for the kids out there. <laughs> yeah. Shower sex ain't that great, <laughs> but this whole chunk of the movie is so notorious. Again, they would cut this out entirely on TV; you'd never see it. The movie is filthy, dirty, even without it. But this is the one that really pushes it over. Because again, this was—this is straight up porn. I cannot—I I shit you not here.
0: See what happens
1: when girls stay out after curfew? <laughs>
0: you got them all hanging by chains with a midget in a clown suit whipping their asses. <laughs> learn the truth about masturbation and the guy comes out of the bathroom and his hands are like melting and his eyes are like melting out of his head.
1: (laughs) This is one hardcore movie. My God. (laughs) And at the end they're like, uh, this movie is brutal and they show a pie hitting a girl in the bare ass. And then they say it's savage. And then we get another uh, Zucker brothers, inappropriate wordplay, the savage natives from Africa. (laughs) and then beyond perversion and now we get a topless girl throwing a cream pie into a horse's ass
0: (laughs) i mean they got it that that's definitely beyond perversion
1: and we end with more footage of the bare breasts against the glass shower door for a good 30 seconds as we fade out
0: yeah yeah and and you know what uh this whole, I've got it here in front of me. The runtime of that whole sketch is only it, it's two minutes flat and they pack
1: a lot into that. two minutes. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be one of the most influential two minutes in comedy for any young boy who grew up in the eighties or seventies.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would have to say so.
1: And what's funny is I don't think that's even in the top three funniest parts of this movie, to be honest.
0: No, no, definitely not. But uh, as a seven or eight, Nine ten year old boy. Whenever you saw it for the first time, um, that was definitely the part of the movie that stuck with you. I think more than the rest.
1: I would love to imagine some grandmother taking her twelve year old to the to the movie theater and them sitting through that together and just seeing how awkward that would have been.
0: (laughs) That would be. uh, I'd imagine a lot of grandmothers that did that left the theater with their (laughs) children. You know, I've only ever been on a a different topic. I've only ever been to one movie where I saw a mass exit happen. Mm -hmm. And it was um, I was living in Chicago at the time and uh, we were seeing uh, uh, like it was before the major release. So it was like a special uh, viewing one weekend of The Aristocrats before (laughs) it, it was released and uh, I think half the people in the theater thought they were there to see, like, some Hugh Jackman period piece. And uh, <laughs> when George Carlin starts talking about, you know, moving the polyp in his asshole so he can hit his diarrhea in the hollow of his wife's throat just right, you know, <laughs> like, half the theater got up and left.
1: Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I've only seen two huge exoduses, but none, of, none, neither were for that reason. In Jurassic Park, the first time I saw it. That movie was marketed to little kids, like three, four, five years old. The amount of screams I heard at that first T-Rex attack and all the parents rushing their kid out of the theater was amazing.
0: Oh, that must have been hilarious.
1: <laughs> and then there's another movie I saw called Very Bad Things with Christian Slater in the 2000s.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I
1: swear we started that movie with half the theater full, and by the time it ended, everybody had walked out by my wife and me, and we were cracking up because we loved that movie.
0: <laughs> I thought it was funny as well. My sister hates it. <laughs> she and I don't have the same sense of humor.
1: <laughs> That's terrible. Terrible. You should always follow Jeff. Jeff has the greatest sense of humor. We've known this.
0: Well, I, I I think it's just because she grew up with me. And so, you know, when we were at grandma's house, you know, we had to take turns watching TV. So I always wanted to watch, you know, History of the World Part One. Uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, things of that nature, um, or Ninja movies, or whatever, and she wanted to watch, you know, The Last Unicorn and Dot and the Kangaroo. So <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so she got pretty bummed when it was Kentucky Fried Movie time. She's like, I, don't watch this. I want to watch Dot and the Kangaroo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> two two polar, polar opposite movies. <laughs> Although Dot and the Kangaroo has a terrifying section in the middle, I always remember that movie. The Bunyip. <laughs>
0: How did we get to Dot and the Kangaroo?
1: I don't know. It's terrible. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, young Jeff is running around the house throwing cream pies into his sister's butt. She's like, stop it, Jeff! <laughs> now that would be more offensive than Mandingo. I'd say maybe equally. Equally offensive to Mandingo. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we finished that sketch mercifully. We got through that one again. Just picture poor Gene Siskel watching that and trying to review it. <laughs>
0: See, and and, uh, again, getting back to to what we had said earlier about some of the sketches, you know, not the strongest that we've seen. You know, the argon oil is not super strong. The amp today has its moments. The new car, not. This is where the movie really takes off and starts running here is with Catholic high school girls in trouble, I think, to where you're like, OK, we're in store for something here for the next, you know, 70 minutes runtime.
1: Yes, although it does need to be said once again, this is not the funniest part of the movie. We got stuff coming up that's even better. <laughs> okay, so let's get through a couple of long sketches here. The first one is the Rialto feel-around, which always feels like it goes on forever, but I know it's only like three minutes or four minutes, right? Uh, four minutes, 52 second runtime for that sketch. Yeah, I have almost nothing to say about this one.
0: <laughs> I, You know, other than what I noticed in watching it the last couple times in the last few weeks that I've been rewatching this is um, I I never noticed this nuance before. And and I I don't know if they meant it to be this way, but the guy's showing up at a feel around movie. And it's like when he shows up to the ticket booth, like the ladies just kind of like kind of blows him off. You know, he's like, thank you. And she doesn't even answer. And he's like, "Eh." he goes to get his popcorn. And the ladies like kind of hands him the popcorn. It's like, "Uh." and so I'm thinking, is this like a dynamic where he's like a creepy dude because he's going to a feel around movie?
1: Oh, I see. So it's like visiting a porn movie. Yeah, and so like the ticket lady and the
0: the popcorn lady don't really want to have anything to do with him. They're like, oh, "There's another creeper going into the feel around theater."
1: <laughs> Pee Wee Herman, the home game here.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> so explain to people. Explain to people what a feel around is
0: well basically he 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 goes into the film and sits down and an usher comes behind him and basically acts out the movie you know um when uh, it's some kind of romantic film that the guy's watching and uh you know it starts with "Oh, can you smell my perfume and he the usher behind him sprays a big big little shot of perfume in his face and you know uh oh sorry i'm so clumsy i spilled my drink and he just basically pours a whole glass of water into the guy's lap from behind and nonchalantly just tosses a towel in his lap and then hey hey watch your cigarette and the guy hits him the usher hits the guy with a blowtorch so you know he's he's feeling the sensations that are going on on the screen and it gets escalated to where uh she sees lipstick on his collar and pulls a knife. And so the usher in turn pulls a knife and has a knife to the guy's throat. And it becomes a very uncomfortable situation. Um, not the best, again, sketch in the movie. Uh, it ends. They, they're going to get married, whatever. And the uh, theater announcer comes on and says, you know. We'd like to offer you to stay for a second feature, Deep Throat, of which, of course, the guy runs out of the theater screaming at that point while the usher is <laughs> kind of smiling.
1: <laughs> it's our second sketch in a row to involve a Deep Throat reference.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> for people, okay, i have to fill in a little historical background. In the 70s, they had these movie theaters called Surround Sound, where they'd surround the whole theater with speakers so you'd feel it. And this is basically the takeoff of that if you did basically a porn movie in Surround Sound where you're being felt up by the usher behind you. And Deep Throat, a very notorious porn film, had come out right before this couple of years. So <laughs> that's the punchline. The next movie is going to be Deep Throat, where the usher is going to be going down on you, and uh, the terrified patron runs out, even though, ostensibly, that's why you go into a feel-around in the first place, right? Is the usher going to be going down on you, or? <laughs> the complicated theological questions that arise at a Kentucky Fried movie. <laughs>
0: Either way, this guy wanted no part of it.
1: Yes. So again, I just I always zone out during that sketch. I don't think it's that strong. And the next one is kind of forgettable too. The Nitex PM.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely the, the next two are pretty forgettable actually. Um, the Nitex PM, you know, it's uh, just a guy's sleeping in bed he's so zonked out because he took some p.m cold medicine the night before and his wife's hitting him over the head and shit and he, he won't wake up and it, it runs for about 35 seconds and and that's it and that's actually i'm um, one of the zucker brothers who's who's playing the part of the guy in bed
1: yeah that's i think jerry zucker and he's in like five different sketches in this movie you'll pick him out if you look for him yeah yeah Yeah, I'm just a uh, cold medicine that basically puts you into a coma. It works so well. It's it's a very simple sketch. But the next one, High Adventure, another one that's got some moments, but it's not especially all that uh, memorable.
0: Well, it's a three-minute running, um, you know, visual gag. Uh, It's a Jacques Cousteau-type guy on a Dick Cavett-type talk show. And uh, the boom mic operators just getting crazy with the boom and putting it in their faces and it's not strong.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is just silly side gags of two guys having a conversation with a boom mic and the boom mic will repeatedly hit them in the face back and back and forth. And again, it's a silly little gag, but it goes on for a while. But then the boom mic starts doing other crazy stuff like shaving one of them. Uh, It restarts their heart. It drinks water out of a glass. Although there's one quote here that I always loved as a kid where this uh, guy's an adventurer and they're interviewing him and they're like, uh, tell us about your life. And he's like, I live the unknown. I am the unknown. And the host is like, oh, where are you living now? And he says, Zet is unknown. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's 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 the high point of the whole sketch. And it happens in the first, you know, 10 seconds out of three minutes.
1: OK, so next we got Bill Bixby for Sanhedrin, the uh, headache medicine. Which is only memorable for the fact that Bill Bixby is in it, who was a huge TV at the star at the time, and I have no idea how they got him to be in this stupid movie.
0: Even though it's only a 40-second clip, and, and I think this would be another completely forgettable clip, if not for the fact that it's Bill Bixby.
1: Yeah, for people who may not have grown up in the era, Bill Bixby was in the show The Incredible Hulk. He played Dr. David Banner, and he was in a show before that called The Courtship of Eddie's Father. Very well respected and acclaimed actor i have no idea why he's in this but i do have to say when you'd see this movie in the video store they'd always say starring and bill bixby would always be number one in the starring credits
0: yeah even though he's in a he's in basically a throwaway filler a 40 second clip of the movie
1: (laughs) nothing happens but he's the star
0: I I think they had Donald Sutherland listed pretty high on that too. All
1: right. We'll get to him in a second. Let's go to the next sketch, which is one of my personal favorites. And this might be in my five favorite sketches in this movie. The, uh, (laughs) the uh, lingering odors sketch, which is like 45 seconds long.
0: This one, this one is another one. That's a, that's a stand standout sketch here for me for the whole film. Um, This is one of the funnier, (laughs) funnier skits, even though it's very short. Um, Just because, again, it's a parody on on the commercials we saw back then. Uh, You know, I was having the girls over for Bridge, and I just was so worried
1: about lingering odors. Yeah, this this was a very prominent commercial trope back in the 70s. People have to get that. They were always hawking air fresheners and stuff because of lingering odors. That was like this catchphrase, lingering odors. So this whole sketch is about what lingering odors might be lasting in a woman's house after a dinner party.
0: Yeah, and so the... uh... The first guest comes in and makes the wincing face, you know, crinkles her nose. Fish for dinner last night. Huh? Mm. And then the next lady. Ah, Al still smoking those cigars. And finally, we get the, uh, the final guest who comes in and just goes, Christ, did a cow shit in here?
1: <laughs> that is wonderful comedy. That is so, so representative of how I grew up learning comedy. The Christ did a cow shit in here question. And that's another one of the clips of this
0: film that when I come across people and I make reference to it and they're not familiar, I show them the YouTube clip of Lingering Odors because it's quick and it's easy to to get a handle on, you know, kind of what this movie's about.
1: (laughs) And it's not too offensive. It's just offensive enough. It doesn't cross the line like some of the other ones. (laughs) You can show that one to your grandma.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Grandma would laugh her ass <laughs> off. <laughs> All
1: right, so here we go into one of the longer sketches of the movie. One of the standouts for me, the sex record. I love this one so much, but I have to say, Jeff, this sketch was entirely cut out on cable. They would never show this on USA.
0: Yeah, see, this one is another one for me. That's that it, 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 it. It's where this movie shines for me. <laughs> this this sketch is great. <laughs>
1: Okay, Jeff, paint a picture for our listeners. What is the sex record about? Well,
0: you've got a a young couple, and, you know, it looks like they're winding down from dinner, finishing their glasses of wine, and, you know, the the little winks and nods go on, so they're obviously ready to get get down and get busy, and so the man... gets up and pulls out a record, um, the wonderful world of sex and shows it to his partner and and she winks and they're ready to go. Um, (laughs) So he puts this record on and basically a narrator comes on and um, is walking them through, you know, foreplay and, 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 and and how to get it on together. And and that's kind of where we start.
1: And yes, for a young man growing up in the eighties, this is a very formative sketch because it it walks you through how sex will go one day so it's very important to follow the record along
0: and it will bring you quote unquote a new exciting level of sexual fulfillment
1: (laughs) once again this is not dot and the kangaroo at this point
0: (laughs) no 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 um so it starts uh the 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 record uh has them get on opposite sides of the room and disrobe um which she does very quickly and the man has trouble getting his pants off and uh it's kind of a slapsticky visual gag but he's he's falling all over the living room trying to get to her as it's you know already moved to the next step of the record about you know kissing and petting and so none of that he gets none of that done by the time he gets his pants off and ends up and finishes tripping over all the furniture uh, just to get to her and uh so they skip all of
1: that <laughs> they they get to the now you're ready to approach the conjugal bed. And so the, these two couple, again, cute little, te- I mean, not teenagers, in the young 20s, very cute couple, and they're trying to follow the record. And the record says, now for the man, you may repeat one of the following three things to your loved or lover. You can say, A, I love you, B, I need you, or C, I want you. And he gets this big grin on his face. He just says, B. <laughs> And then,
0: but then it it goes to the, and now the female can say, I want you now. I want you now. Reprendos (laughs) altados. Reprendos altados.
1: We get the Spanish translation. She gets to repeat that.
0: Yeah, she she has no three options. She just gets to say, I want you now, twice in English and
1: Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the part in the record where they're making out and they're heavy padding, and the, and the record says, now it is time to insert the birth control device.
0: Uh, diaphragm, likely. <laughs> well, and then, then this is maybe... This is a really funny part about uh, in this bit, maybe not the funniest, because I think that's coming up still, but uh, as she goes away to insert the birth control device, uh, we get intermission music <laughs> and it's just hilarious.
1: It's wacky circus music.
0: Yeah, circus cartoony music, and and it stops. And she's not coming out of the bathroom, so it just starts again. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: so yes, she goes to insert her birth control device. And then she comes out and now they start petting and the record is walking them through the steps of heavy petting and stroking and nuzzling. And there's the wonderful quote here, the female, if she is so inclined may latch onto his honker.
0: I had that one written down too. (laughs) (laughs) And so of course, uh, after all this heavy petting and all this anticipation, uh, the man, how should I say, uh, finishes before he starts, and the record picks up on it and says, Premature ejaculation. It's a common problem. <laughs> In case of premature ejaculation, this album comes with Big Jim Slade. <laughs>
1: Yes. Here comes the reinforcements as the record was comes equipped with this man named Big Jim Slade, who is was a huge black bodybuilder who is there to finish the job with the woman. If you could not. And he bursts through the door. He's got like theme music and he picks up the girl and salutes the young man and walks off. So he has effectively been cuckolded by the sex record. And, and,
0: and as as this is going on, the voiceover on the record, I, I had to write this down because I wanted to get it exact. He says, Big Jim Slade, former tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, equipped with whips, chains, and a sexual appetite that will knock your socks off. He's satisfied women throughout the world, and the capital of Nebraska is Lincoln.
1: You know, to this day, I've never forgotten the capital of Nebraska is Lincoln because of this movie. How could you? (laughs) Yeah, Big Jim Slade, he comes out of nowhere. It's such a wonderful little end to that gag, and Big Jim Slade will... A, return later in the movie. It's a callback joke. And B, I have to point out, whenever I played Dungeons & Dragons or fantasy games as a kid, my character was always named Big Jim Slade out of honor of this movie. (laughs) And I would try to give him whips or chains just to be historically accurate. (laughs) I should have been
0: playing Dungeons & Dragons with you.
1: You were too busy watching R-rated movies and cool stuff. (laughs) So... So we've already had Catholic high school girls in trouble. We've had premature ejaculation, honkers. We've had big Jim Slade. This movie is really already kind of, kind of a trip. But now we're going to get to the main stretch of the movie, which is a big 35-minute movie within a movie called A Fistful of Yen, which I personally love, but I know some people don't like this that much.
0: I absolutely love it. And, and this is funny. I mean, it's obviously a... Uh, You know, a parody of Enter the Dragon, which I honestly have never seen. (laughs) And having seen Fistful of Yen, I don't think I really need to see Enter the Dragon. I think I get it.
1: Okay, I have two things to say about that. I'm just like you. I saw a Kentucky Fried movie probably 500 times before I ever saw Enter the Dragon. Now, for people who don't know, Enter the Dragon was a huge kung fu karate movie with Bruce Lee, probably the biggest in the genre ever in 1974, a couple years before this. It was like this huge deal. And so this movie is parodying that. But again, I've seen this movie way more than Enter the Dragon. So it's like when I watch Enter the Dragon, it's funny because I know the Kentucky Fried movie version better. Although the other thing I wanted to say is that uh, I just heard a podcast with Quentin Tarantino a while back, and he loves a fistful of yen. He thought it was one of the funniest things he ever saw because he loves Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon so much that he said he saw Kung Fu, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie in the theater several times just because he loved Fistful of Yen so much. It's one of his favorite things ever.
0: That makes sense. I mean, obviously a lot of his films are uh, are influenced by. You know, the 70s, uh, not just kung fu films, but also the exploitation films that they parody in this later on.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I can see Tarantino being all over this movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Cleopatra Schwartz, Fistful of Yen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so again, it's funny when you read some reviews, some people don't like a Fistful of Yen. They say it's too long. For me, it's like this could almost be its own movie. It's just not quite long enough, so they had to put some other stuff around it. I think this is so well done. I have an entire page of notes just on Fistful of Yen.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a lot to wrap wrap your head around here. Um, I mean, again, it's an obvious parody of Enter the Dragon, um, but it, it's it's just... The, the gags in it are hilarious. The the airplane type pun jokes they do are, are hilarious in it. it. It's just really well done all the way around, I think.
1: Yeah, again, if you appreciate airplane, that whole style of pun humor, you have to see this at least once in your life because it's it's so similar. And you don't even need to know the source material. Just little stuff like how to do comedy, little puns, gags, visual jokes. There's one that I, to this day, still use. Like if anybody's seen my survivor writing, one of my things I love to do is when I post a picture of someone and I post a caption under the picture, that's clearly not the person I'm talking about. It's just like, that's the joke. Like it'll be like, oh, here's a Miley Cyrus. And I'll post the caption underneath. It's like Mr. T or something. It's clearly, it's like, it's like clearly not. And they do that. I learned that from this movie. There's a joke right at the start of A Fistful of Yen where it says, it has a picture of, of New York Harbor, the Statue of Liberty, the Twin Towers. And the caption under it just says Hong Kong. (laughs) <laughs> and they don't elaborate on that joke. That's just a little stuff that I learned from the Zucker brothers.
0: What's What's really funny too is is in the start uh, where they're where they're kind of setting the table, and you've got the uh, you know the uh, British guys who are obviously in in the British government um, talking about Doctor Khan, the antagonist, and 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 his fortress, and you know he's a bad dude, and he's trying to you know he's kidnapped this Chinese nuclear physicist so he can make a bomb and extort money from the world or whatever. Um, But they're pointing out where his fortress is, and it's like, it's it's in Asia, and it's such rugged terrain that no country will claim it. (laughs) And his his subordinate looks at him and goes, worse than Detroit? (laughs) I'm afraid so.
1: Did you catch the name of the island, too? It's a pun right at the start. I I didn't. What is it? It's the Isle of Lucy. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And again, they don't linger on these jokes. It's very quick. You have to catch the "I Love Lucy" parody.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, they're they're quick, um, quick fire.
1: <laughs> the other thing I got the other thing I got to point out about this is that they really bag on Bruce Lee having a speech impediment <laughs> to the point that I cannot watch Bruce Lee anymore after watching Fistful of Yen because they just make him sound like Daffy Duck in this, and he kind of does when you hear him in real life. It's 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 horrible, but it's funny.
0: What was that? This is not a shawade. We need total concentration. Now,
1: once again, this time, with Fee Wing. that's the line I love. Um, I'm not going to delve too far into A Fistful of Yen just because it's so long and so deep and there's so many gags. Is there anything in specific you want to highlight about this?
0: Uh, when, uh, when Lou the protagonist first uh, infiltrates dr. Klon's army um, he, he goes to the island under the guise of you know wanting to join the fighting force and uh, he's treated immediately to uh, how they handle prisoners there on the island um, which which is one of the most hilarious parts of this movie I think um, the first prisoner dr. Kwan, for those who haven't seen it uh, has a, a, a missing hand and so he detects. And he can insert all kinds of knives and claws and flamethrowers into the stump of his wrist. It's a mechanical connection. So the first prisoner sitting there waiting. He watches, you know, as Dr. Klon puts the machete blade on his arm and just cuts his head off and says, now take him to be tortured. (laughs) (laughs) And then then they bring up the American. Uh, And I'll quote here. So as for my American friend. The CIA think it can infiltrate the fortress of Doctor Klon. <laughs> and the, the CIA guy uh, yells some racial epithets at him and, and says, "I'm not afraid of you." And, and here we get the uh, the running joke again. Doctor Klon looks down at him and says, "Take him to Detroit." <laughs> at which point the CIA guy loses his mind and starts crying like a baby. You know, no, not Detroit.
1: <laughs> And again, that's airplane. They do that in airplane later. But it all starts here, just bashing on Detroit. They hated it. (laughs) And Dr. Klawn. Now, in the real movie, his name is Dr. Hahn, which is funny because I watched the original and I'm like, he should be called Dr. Klawn. I always think it should be (laughs) Klawn. But he's got a little speech here. Gentlemen, welcome. We are honored to have you among us. We are building a fighting force of extraordinary magnitude. We forge our spirits in the traditions of our ancestors. You have our gratitude. And,
0: and that's kind of a running joke that goes on throughout, too. Like, uh, it, it shows him, you know, uh, post-coital in bed with uh, his, his uh, assistant lady. And he looks over and it goes, you have my gratitude. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's one little gag here in this movie where you hear his answering machine. Do you remember that part? Hello. This is Dr. Cron. I'm not home right
0: now. Leave a message when you hear the beep. You have our gratitude.
1: I have to say, in college, I used that as my answering machine for four years. (laughs) That was my outgoing message.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I might have to change mine to that now.
1: Another little detail I love about this movie is they all get to the island and you see all this huge force of karate soldiers training to take over the world and they're all doing like martial arts. But then again, another gag, they lifted an airplane. You show that you have them playing basketball (laughs) and you have the bad guys practicing by throwing odd job hats, which I love.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. Um I, I guess the other another part in this sketch that was hilarious was uh when he's actually decided to, you know, break out of his room and, and infiltrate the fortress and go after the uh the detonator and he winds up in the bowels of the uh you know, the island fortress and there's a tour guide down there, like with a bunch of American tourists
1: And, and here's where we process our opium. We supply one quarter of the addicts in the world with their heroin. <laughs> It's all like old people with Hawaiian leis around their necks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's like Bermuda shorts on and shit.
1: I'm just, I'm just thinking of little gags that have inspired me as a comedy writer over the years. Just little stuff. Like, there's one scene where Lou is in his bedroom and he's being told not to talk because the room is bugged. And so, like, the female scientist is showing him all the different bugs in the room, and one of them is literally just a little old Chinese guy holding a huge boom mic. <laughs> And there's another one where Lou is trying to sneak past one of the guards, and it's the traditional trope where he makes little tiny noises, and the guard like, will turn around like he heard something, but Lou sneaks past him. Except in this scene, Lou knocks over an entire cabinet full of china at least three times. <laughs> and then at one time, one time he walks right in front of the guy's vision, and the guy doesn't see him.
0: <laughs> like in Metal Gear or something. <laughs>
1: It's so great. I love so many things, so many little details in this.
0: Well, I, I, I guess if we don't want to linger on this sketch too long, uh, you get you get to the end and the end fight, and uh, that's where we, we become the Wizard of Oz.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, there's two other things i got to mention, Beef. I, I, I'm trying to skip over most of this because it's long, but sight gags. I have to point out little sight gags that other people may not have loved as much as me. <laughs> there's a scene where Lou is fighting a guy with nunchucks, And Lou knocks the guy like the guy's doing all the little motion with nunchucks, like flinging his hands all over the place. And when Lou knocks the nunchucks out of his hands, the guy keeps punching as if he's holding nunchucks. It's the weirdest little visual.
0: Yeah, it just looks so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And then when he's when he's fighting Dr. Klon and Dr. Klon is actually has the the claw that, you know, uh, and, and he hits him with it a couple times. And you see the blood marks like from Bruce Lee. And then he misses and hits the wall, and the wall actually starts bleeding too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's something. Since you knew my brother Dominic, Dom and I used to do this all the time. The the uh, guard, the uh, alarm guy. (laughs) I will explain this for the, the in the movie, like in in any kung fu thriller, when the good guy infiltrates the base, there's an alarm that goes off at a certain point. It just starts beeping. Everyone knows there's an intruder. In A Fistful of Yen, they just have this old Chinese guy holding a, me- a megaphone, and he's got a little, sire- or a little uh, red blinker on top of his head. And he just says, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> My brother and I used to imitate that all the time when we were kids.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. And then the, the alarm guy ends up going up to Klon's room after he's had sex with his... Uh his assistant, and uh, that's when Klon figures out that the shit's going down. He just busts in the room.
1: (laughs) That's so funny. I wish more people loved that alarm guy as much as I do.
0: I'm 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 in your your camp there with the alarm guy.
1: (laughs) And then at one other point in the in the fistful of yen, uh, a bunch of guards have been convicted of uh, accepting bribes and they get caught and they have to prove their loyalty to to Dr. Klon. And they basically put them on a dating game type show. (laughs) And the thing that always makes me laugh is their names. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, it was a kind of a if people love making fun of Chinese names back in the day, they'd say hung well which means obviously you have a big penis. So, so two of the guards, are names hung well and long Wang. And the last one, they complete the trilogy. His name is enormous genitals. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, and I, and I love the,
0: uh, the way the game goes too. I mean, they all, <laughs> the first guy's answer. I forget what the question is. But what what would you what, what would you t- do on a date with me I, 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 you know if, I forget yeah and he talks about a walk on the beach and playing his guitar and and Klon's just like bah. dude just snaps his neck <laughs> and then they go to the next guy if you were an alarm clock how would you wake me up I want it I'm no dingling <laughs> And the third guy gets the same question, and so his answer is right on point. He, he says exactly what he's supposed to. He says, uh, we're building a fighting force of extraordinary magnitude, <laughs> forged in the traditions of our ancestors. Uh, you have our gratitude. Let's all give Dr. Kwan a great big hand, <laughs> which was obviously the wrong thing to say for the handless Dr. Kwan, and he's dispatched as well.
1: That's right. Poor enormous genitals. He almost passed the test.
0: Enormous genitals was real close to keeping his life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then one last thing I got to say about A Fistful of Yen is that this is something I have loved for years. It's a little gag that a lot of people don't catch. Is that at the end of the movie, there's this big brawl. All of Lou's men come fighting. Big Jim Slade has come out to free all the prisoners to help him. And Dr. Klunt is calling for all his men to go attack the prisoners. Have you ever listened to what he yells when he calls their names?
0: Yes, he yells a bunch of uh, Asian dishes. Uh, Kimchi, egg foo young.
1: Mushu pork. Mushu pork. (laughs) He just yells a bunch of Chinese food dishes. It's so good. I mean, that That's the kind of stuff that always inspired me as a comedy writer, and and a lot of people don't even catch that, just little things like that that the writers threw in there that you're not even supposed to catch until maybe the third or fourth viewing, that those are just Chinese food plates. (laughs) (laughs) God bless you, Zucker Brothers and Jim Abrams.
0: Brilliant. I I, I mean, it it starts here, and of course, Airplane and Top Secret, it's just... uh, they They made films that... That I'll love forever.
1: Yeah, and again, anybody who wants to know how comedy works, just watch this stuff and pay attention to how they write things and write gags and jokes. It's it's so much more clever and innovative than most stuff you hear in movies.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, we finished uh, Fistful of Yen. We're now an hour into the movie. The movie's almost over because that I, I
0: think we've got. To, I think we've got to discuss the ending of Fistful of Yen because we still haven't done that yet.
1: Okay, you de, explain to us, Jeff, how you can visit a dairy and find out how milk is handled and prepared for delivery. <laughs> so we've got the,
0: uh, the, the big fight between Lou and Dr. Kwan, and uh, Dr. Kwan loses the claw in his hand, and it's revealed that he has a flamethrower uh, built into the stump, and, and he's going to burn the shit out of Lou. So Lou grabs a bu- bucket of water, and Dr. Klon says, no, not water. And he gets splashed with water and starts melting like the Wicked Witch from uh, <laughs> from The Wizard of Oz and basically melts. Uh, at which point the British government shows up and tells Lou that he's successful and uh, he gets to keep Dr. Klon's island fortress and all the riches. And Lou says, well, I just really wanted to go home. Well, you've had that power all the time. All you need to do is click your heels together, and see. There's no place like home. And they cut to a picture from Wizard of Oz of Dorothy clicking the heels together, and uh, and Lou ends up in black and white on a Kansas farm <laughs> with a with a pigtailed wig on. <laughs> it's hilarious.
1: <laughs> all of you were there. It's like it's all the 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 kung the karate enemies from the Isle of Lucy. It's like you were there, Slim, and you Ben. And clon still has the flamethrower arm
0: and accidentally shoots it off and hides it.
1: (laughs) It's a masterpiece, I'm telling you. A Fistful of Yen is one of the greatest things that's ever been put on film. So many jokes, so many gags, so many wonderful little parts that I reference, even to this day, 40 years later. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, and and after watching it, re rewatching it the first time recently i was trying to put my finger on and i'd never had before where uh what else lou the, the evan kim the actor who played lou was in mm-hmm. and uh, i didn't realize this but he was uh he was clint eastwood's partner in the deadpool the last dirty Harry <laughs> movie
1: did he have a speech impediment
0: no no <laughs> no but there was the one scene where they were asking uh they were interrogating some korean people who had witnessed a crime and they do that old gag that's been in a lot of movies where what are they saying i don't know they're korean i'm japanese
1: (laughs) (laughs) again though if even if you don't want to watch the rest of this movie everybody should see a fistful of yen and then watch enter the dragon because it makes enter the dragon even better than it already is it's amazing jeff you gotta need to see enter the dragon do now yeah
0: and I would say after Fistful of Yen, um, the movie here, we, we get we get some more sketches that are kind of throwaway, some longer ones. But uh, there, there's still some good uh, left here.
1: Yeah, there's a little lull. I would say there's a little lull. It's going to end strong. But let's let's get through the filler here.
0: Um, so the first sketch after Fistful of Yen, I wouldn't call filler. I actually think it's pretty hilarious. Um, it's the Willer beer commercial and you got a bunch of, uh, Hare Krishna's hanging out on the sidewalk and the voiceover guy comes up and says, uh, you've just sold your last box of incest. You've pestered over 60 pedestrians and handed out your last leaflet. It's time to kick off your sandals and grab yourself a Willer. And, and all the Hare Krishnas go to the bar and they're grabbing beers and having a good time and slapping ladies on the ass and, and grabbing handfuls of ass
1: and then the voiceover guy goes you're only going to be reincarnated six or seven times <laughs> that's a great line I circled that
0: <laughs> uh yeah so the wilder beer I I, I think that's a. Uh, That's a solid 58-second bit in this movie.
1: Yeah, I have to point out, though, for our younger listeners, this is a parody of Miller Beer that they had at the time. This is exactly what Miller Beer commercials looked like. It was businessmen going in and slapping waitress – or not slapping, but flirting with waitresses right after work. So that's where Miller becomes Willer. You wouldn't know that if you didn't grow up in the 70s, though. And now we get to the ballsy one, which I'm – I always thought this was funny as a kid. There's a, there's a board game, which is basically you kill JFK and you try to get away with it, called Scott Free. I love to think that the fa- about the fact that this movie came out 13 years after the JFK assassination, which was way too soon to be joking about this stuff, I bet. Well,
0: and also the the, the parody of it pretty much goes down exactly every conspiracy theory about the assassination you know i mean first it's like yeah you rolled you land on the square you found yourself a patsy draw a card you got jack ruby to kill the (laughs) patsy. dead men can't talk
1: (laughs) i love the little visual gag that one of the game pieces is jfk's actual casket with the american flag draped over it
0: yes yes
1: (laughs) terrible terrible taste (laughs) <laughs> and then there's the, the Life
0: Magazine got a hold of these pictures, so you bought Life Magazine and <laughs> released them out of sequence. <laughs> now we need to spin the wheel of public opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one's fun. I, I didn't appreciate this one as much as when I was a kid, but I watch it now, I'm like, that one is ballsy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, this one is one that didn't resonate with me as a kid, but resonates with me so much more now. <laughs>
1: I love the uh, the parents who play that board game. They're great actors. they their facial reactions when they're losing jail to Scott Free. They're awesome.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because as I was watching the credits, um, that was a real family. <laughs> like at least the kids and the dad all had the same last name, the actors that played them
1: so it's a nice wholesome family movie hey our family was in this movie together we all filmed this scene let's go to the theater and watch the kentucky fried movie oh my god it's catholic high school girls in trouble yeah too
0: bad you're you're scene 16 you're gonna have to get through catholic high school girls in trouble before we get to your part
1: (laughs) see as a comedian that's the kind of stuff i live for little scenarios like that that's hilarious
0: yeah great (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. Next up, we have That's Armageddon, which is one of those segments I always fast forward through because it goes on forever. I hate this one.
0: It's it's boring. Um, it's uh, I, I get it. You know, there was a lot of disaster movies in the time, and it's kind of parodying those. It's not a big trope anymore. Um, I think a lot of people watching it now who would never see this movie would definitely call this uh, weak,
1: terrible. It's I thought it was terrible as a kid. It's boring.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and how they got Donald Sutherland <laughs> this, just, as the clumsy waiter who, who drops the cake. I mean, that's the highlight of this two minutes and 17 seconds of meh.
1: All right, that's okay. We got good stuff coming up. Next up, we have Henry Gibson, very famous actor from *Laughing* at the time. Well, again, Yet another big name they somehow got into this movie, where he's hosting a uh, fundraiser. It's the United Appeal for the Dead for families where a child has died, but the fa- pa- parents still want to hang out with the child's corpse. <laughs> this one is in somewhat poor taste. But
0: this one, this one's good. This is one of my, this, this is one that I still laughed at, uh, where he's talking about the symptoms of death. One, rigor mortis. Two, a rotting smell. Three, occasional drowsiness. (laughs) (laughs) And they go to the family and they've got like the rotting kid on the couch and it's like absence of life from Johnny's body doesn't mean an absence from our family. and they have the montage of him doing all the family shit but he's just a rotting corpse at the one point they're having the pool party and he's just floating face down in the middle of the pool next to like the the pool toys
1: yeah this is definitely one of the most underrated sketches in this movie because i always forget it's in here and you have henry gibson with his deadpan you know despite all of our efforts death continues to be our nation's number one killer And the mom, yeah. Johnny left us three years ago, but just because he has a handicap, he can still be a useful member of the family as he falls face first into the mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? The makeup, really, that they did for him was really, really good. <laughs> the little dead boy. Yeah, that, that that was quality makeup work for this film, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, this one's great. This one never gets talked about enough because it gets overshadowed. This one's really funny, and it's like universal humor. This would hold up anywhere. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, yeah, it's 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 universal. It's 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 not dated. I mean, it's still obviously um, death is still, I think, the number one killer mm-hmm. in the world. So
1: it continues to be a problem.
0: People can relate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Terribly offensive, but so, so well done.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of my one of my favorites. Another one like like you said I as well had kind of forgotten about this sketch until I rewatched the movie and I'm like, "Oh shit, that one was funny."
1: <laughs> okay, so now we go to the courtroom sketch, which before we delve into this, I have to say two things. This one is like dead on a dry run for airplane. It's the exact type of jokes they use in airplane. They even reuse some of them later in airplane. But it goes on forever. And this is one they would always cut out on cable, too, I think, just for time reasons. So I didn't see this one until many years later.
0: I think probably for time reasons and also when he whips out the big dildo and says, are you familiar with the penal code? (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) perhaps. The whole whole
0: second half of the sketch, he's really got that dildo in his hand and is waving it around and shit. So that's that's probably part of the reason why they took it off the tv
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but this sketch alone it's just puns and sight gags and just taking legal terms and doing little pun humor about every single one of them i don't want to delve into them but i do like i'd like to listen to a tape and he pulls out a roll of masking tape and starts unrolling it so you listen to it
0: (laughs) can can i can i have a moment to examine my briefs of course and so he just pulls his trousers out and uh, yeah they're fine (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> the one that i always laugh at and again it's too bad it's not this sketch isn't that well known because there's a certain a couple really good gags in here the hyenas one that is such a zucker brothers joke where nobody in the courtroom can agree on how to pronounce heinous or hyeneus or hyenas hi- and so they look it up and they learn that it's actually pronounced hyenas and the definition is any of a family of carnivorous beasts of africa and asia <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good I think they said cowardly scavenger beasts or something. (laughs) And then for some reason, um, Tony Dow uh, is reprising uh, Wally Cleaver. And uh, one of the Zucker brothers is playing Beaver. Um, So for some reason, Wally and Beaver are in this, (laughs) which I just never understood really.
1: (laughs) Again, it's a weird sketch. It's, it's, I think it holds up pretty well just because pun humor tends to work. Like, if you're working legal work or you're a lawyer, you'll probably like this one because it's all just legal gags, legal terms. <laughs> but the one that always gets me is, for some reason, they cut away to a commercial in the middle of the sketch, and it's a little girl frying a cat in Nesson oil. <laughs> Why is that there? <laughs> What's our little skeptic up to today? Oh, she's frying the cat in pure Nesson oil.
0: The cat's just... Rawr! Like, and she's just stuffing it in the pot and trying to get the lid on over it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That That's just a weird little 14-second uh, segue in the middle of the courtroom sketch. That Yeah, <laughs> odd.
1: And then, as you pointed out, at one point they say, are you aware of the penal code in the state? And as he's saying penal code, he whips out a huge dildo. <laughs> so perhaps that's why I wasn't on TV.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's got to be it. Um, but back to Wally and Beaver, you know. I just thought about this. So, so they had Tony Dow in uh, in this film, and then of course uh, June Cleaver in Airplane.
1: Yes, they love the Cleavers. <laughs> now, did you catch who else is in this one? Who the sonographer is in the sketch?
0: Yeah, he's also in Airplane. He's uh, what was his name in Airplane?
1: Johnny. That's Johnny. Yeah, Johnny is the guy in Airplane, Steven Stucker, who steals every single line once they get to the tower scenes. Rapunzel, Rapunzel. But you can see a little of his shtick earlier in this movie as he plays the courtroom stenographer who plays with the dildo and tries to steal the scenes from everybody else. He basically plays the
0: same character.
1: Yes. <laughs> so if you want a little pre-Johnny, Johnny action, you can see him in the sketch. All right, we got four more sketches to go, including three of the funniest ones in the movie. So I'm very excited here.
0: Yes, uh, I, I mean the movie definitely finishes strong. You have the little lull here um, after Fistful of Yen, the, uh, the courtroom thing, uh, not my favorite. I mean, a little long. I, I do appreciate the uh, the puns and stuff in it, but I just think uh, I think it could have run at about half the time that it actually hmm. did. Um, and then you know you had that's Armageddon and
1: yeah and and good luck explaining to a younger viewer what the what's my line parody is in the middle of the courtroom sketch they will never get that
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: <laughs> I didn't get that that's that's before my time and I was born in seventy four okay so the final four sketches the first of the final four is Cleopatra Schwartz which I don't think is that great it's like it's cool it's a funny idea but it's only like ninety seconds long
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, just a quick parody of uh, Cleopatra Jones, um, but if she was married to a, a Hasidic Jew. <laughs> the premise is funny. The execution is okay, but you know, I, I, I think if it ran much longer than 90 seconds, this would be another one of those that you'd call kind of garbage. Um, it's, it, it, it it's good that it's short.
1: Yeah, and again, for people who weren't there, this is the blaxploitation era. This is a parody of the movies at the time. Six feet of black dynamite, who would have been Pam Greer, basically. But in this one, she's married to a short Hasidic Jew, and they team up. She's Cleopatra Schwartz. We get her beating people up. We get her topless, just to get a little more boobs in the movie.
0: You got the voiceover guy, you know, well, she burned the ghetto to the ground. He lit the Sabbath
1: candles. (laughs) That's a good line, Al. He he kindled. That's the word. I just looked that up. Kindled Kindled the Sabbath candles. (laughs) A lot of people remember Cleopatra Schwartz, but it's not one of the better sketches in this movie because now we have the big three, which were probably my three favorite sketches in the movie all in a row here at the end. (laughs) Let's start with zinc oxide.
0: Uh, Now, this one was great. I mean... uh... It's an obvious parody of uh, the classroom educational films uh, that we all saw um, that were, I mean, our generation still saw them, even though most of them were filmed in the 60s and 70s. Uh, I don't think anyone, you know, that's that's a younger generation would would really catch on to this one and, and what they're parodying. It, it, but it, it, it still, I think, comes off as pretty damn funny.
1: All right. So explain to people what zinc oxide and you is.
0: Well, basically, it starts with a voiceover of the guy talking about, you know, chemicals and chemistry and, you know, like a typical educational video would be. And and let's talk about zinc oxide. Uh, You know, every farmer needs it. Every policeman needs it. Every housewife needs it. We go to the housewife and she turns around and she's got her soap in her hand. She's been doing the dishes. She's all, how does zinc oxide help me? And that's where the announcer then says, Well, without zinc oxide, you wouldn't have that bar of soap. And the soap just disappears. And then you wouldn't have that dish towel, and it disappears. But then we start getting to some stuff that uh, that starts disappearing around her house that causes basically a cataclysm. Um, <laughs> you want to have the safety catch on your son's rifle, and you hear the gunshot go off in the background.
1: And the kid goes, Ah! <laughs>
0: The e-brake on your car, so the car backs into the house. Uh, the, the 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 temperature control on your stove. All of a sudden, she's got like a raging inferno going on in the kitchen. Your husband's pacemaker, and it shows the husband you know off site of his office, just keel over and die. <laughs> yes.
1: This housewife's lear- life is going to turn to absolute hell as all the things that had zinc oxide will disappear, including that brasier you're wearing. <laughs> your boobs just drop. Yeah,
0: but as she's trying to put the fire out, all the shit she's trying to put the fire out with starts disappearing, too. You want to have that fire extinguisher. How about sand? Yeah, you wouldn't have sand either.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, her house is on fire. The car has crashed through her wall. Her son is dead. He has shot himself with his rifle. He collapses on the floor. And then it ends with, also, your artificial limb. And her leg falls off.
0: <laughs> well, and then it ends on, well, see see, series seven in our what is it see uh see episode seven which is rebuilding your home as her sink is just spewing water everywhere everything's on fire
1: <laughs> and it's so short it's like 90 seconds long but this might be the most underrated sketch in this movie it's so funny i've always loved it i show it to people all the time they always think it's funny this is classic
0: yeah i i i loved this one as a kid it didn't take you know I mean, this was something that that even eight-year-old me could, could you, you know, fully understand, and uh, and I, I got it, <laughs> you know, and it was hilarious then as an eight-year-old boy. Uh, it was hilarious just watching it just now as a 44-year-old man.
1: <laughs> I just love that side gag, that brazier you're wearing, just the look on her face, and somehow they get her boobs to drop perfectly. It's so well done.
0: Yeah, and she kind of – the look on her face is like kind of um, – <laughs> it's perfect. It's like a,
1: like a look of defeat. Kind of. <laughs> okay, Jeff, we are finally here. We have the final two sketches of this movie. And again, if you thought this movie was racy and over the top, we're about to put the cherry on top of the Sunday as we finish strong with danger seekers and eyewitness news.
0: Yeah. Danger seekers. Um, Now this one Good luck, Jeff. We're all counting on you. This one will not play well today, uh, obviously. This is kind of the, uh, the Black Centaur in Fantasia, or uh, I guess Song of the South in its entirety. You want to make a Disney comparison. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How dare you suggest that this one is racist? Take that back, Jeff Parker.
0: So this one is a, a, a parody of... Uh, you know, I had to look this up, but it's actually parodying uh, a show that existed in 73 and 74 called Thrill Seekers, um, which followed, you know, daredevils around. And so uh, this is a really short sketch, uh, but it it doesn't it doesn't take long to uh, drive home its point. So you got a guy, an evil Knievel type guy. He's he's all dressed up in this jumpsuit. He's got a, you know, stunt helmet on and this the announcer is kind of talking them up what a badass he is and how he's just always seeking the next thrill. And so we see him basically cross the railroad tracks and you come to a um, stereotypical uh, group of, you know, 1970s African-American gentlemen, uh, you know, standing around a 55 uh, gallon barrel burning playing dice in an alley uh, basically or in an industrial area and so the danger seeker walks up into the middle of them uh, rex kramer and uh they all look at him like you know what the fuck's going on white boy what are you doing here and he just shouts out the n-word at the top of his lungs and starts running and after they realize what he had just said they're like say what motherfucker and they turn around and all chase him and, and that's that's the whole sketch
1: it's a seven second sketch with one word the n-word basically but the way it's pulled off almost is impossible not to make you laugh (laughs) just danger seekers he seeks danger he just walks up (laughs) shouts the (laughs) n-word runs away and it ends with all the black guys chasing him theoretically are going to murder him now because he just did that and that's the whole sketch
0: (laughs) it might not play so well today (laughs) but uh you know, this kind of stuff was uh, more acceptable in the late 70s. And I I can watch it because I have the context and still I still find it hilarious, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean, the 70s were a lawless time where pretty much anything goes in comedy. Like, I don't think this is a particularly mean spirited sketch the way it's pulled off. Like you could do this much worse. It's
0: obvious that the uh, African-American gentlemen uh, are the alphas in this sketch and they, they can and likely are going to completely dismember rex kramer danger seeker <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they catch up to
1: him <laughs> and that's why the joke works because it's it cuts off before you see the ending where you know what's going to happen and, but yeah i i love the sketch but this is one you could never quote <laughs> you could never play this on like mp3 or wave files it's just one of those everyone remembers that oh yeah that one at the end of kentucky fried movie don't quote that one
0: <laughs> yeah when i'm when i'm showing people youtube clips uh, that haven't seen this movie uh you know, just to get them familiar with some of the jokes. This is one I avoid.
1: (laughs) Now, why, why would you possibly do that? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you just, you just never know what's going to get
0: someone's, uh, bees in someone's bonnet these days. (laughs) And uh, this one's uh, this one's one that I just don't touch, but, uh, you know, an interesting other little piece of trivia that I pulled up off the Wikipedia on this that I didn't know, um, is, I, I mean, I knew it, but didn't put two and two together but rex kramer is also the name of robert stack's character in airplane
1: that's correct and in the uh courtroom sketch i believe the reporter's name is McCroskey, which is lloyd bridges in airplane well and and to defend this sketch a little like when my brother and i loved it so much as kids it's not so much rex kramer screaming the n-word that's funny it's the reaction of the guys where one of was like say what motherfucker just that line that's the one that i always thought was the funniest is their reaction line <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes.
1: Danger seekers. Again, you will laugh realizing that somebody got this scene into a movie because it would not exist in most movies.
0: <laughs> it's so well done in that the way they set it up. This is not what you're expecting to happen. No. <laughs> like not at all.
1: Cuz he starts the scene on a hang glider.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean the first time I the first time I saw this, I I'm, I'm sure I was shocked <laughs> by what <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> and to be fair, the moral of the story is the same that it would be in most Danger Seekers episodes: don't do this. <laughs> yeah, don't try this at home. <laughs> you learn a valuable life lesson. Don't do this. Actually, <laughs> it would
0: probably the the uh, the warning would be for this. Probably, don't try this
1: in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And again, I will defend this sketch even further. This sketch taught me not to use the N-word. So if nothing else, it was a very valuable life lesson. Do not do this. Bad things will happen. So it's a li- it's a good lesson you take from the sketch.
0: I-, I can give you that.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we're not even to the raciest sketch. We're about to get to the one at the end, Eyewitness News, which, holy crap, this is a way to end a movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one... Uh... The, the, this one, is it, it's a good finish to this film. Um,
1: <laughs> it's a money shot, if you will. And it,
0: it kind of does a really good job and it takes elements that were good from other skits in the film and kind of packs them together. The newscaster guy and Catholic high school girls in trouble. I mean, we've kind of got we've got the porny kind of stuff going on and we've got, you know, the <laughs> the deadpan newscaster guy in the background. It's 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 good.
1: Why don't you explain to our novice listeners who have never seen the sketch what happens in eyewitness news?
0: Okay, so a couple are uh on a couch and they're uh they're getting into some heavy petting. Uh and the female says, uh, eh, let's see what's on TV, the news is on, and the guy's visibly agitated. He just he just wants to get to the hump and he doesn't want to fuck around with watching the news. But you know, he he goes ahead and he, he turns the TV on, the news is on. Uh, you know, they watch it for a couple moments. He takes the wine glass out of her hand and gets back into the make out zone um, after they're making out for a little while. It becomes clear as he's removing her bra and exposing her tits that the guy on the TV, the news broadcaster, can see what's going on. And he, he's watching them get it on and uh... <laughs>
1: while trying to do his newscast while trying to do his newscast
0: and starts stumbling over his words and finally just says, fuck it and drags, you know, the cameraman into the shot with him and, 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 and one of the other, you know, production assistants or whatever. And so all three of these guys are just watching these two, uh, get it on while this guy's going down on this lady on the couch and they're shouting and hooting and hollering. And, uh, it startles the couple and they get up and look and they just really quickly, everybody exits the screen and it goes right back to the newscaster and he kind of, you know, straightens his shirt and starts trying to play it straight again. And uh, so the people get back into the sex and and again, it just goes back to all the production assistants and and Cameron are are crowded into the screen to watch these people fucking on their couch through their TV.
1: (laughs) And it's so explicit. Even to this day, it catches me off guard how much they show. Like this is almost straight, porn and we're watching these newscasters laughing and cheering and giving them high fives and stuff as they're watching this couple and you see every minute of the sex act it goes on and it's hilarious
0: yeah yeah Yeah, and once she gets on top of him and starts going to town, that's when the the guys in the TV are just losing their <laughs> minds.
1: <laughs> the, the girl is literally riding the guy at the end. You see it, and the newscasters are cheering them on, waiting for the ex- this exciting ending. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the newscasters climax along with the couple at the same time, <laughs> and that's
0: the climax of the film. It's perfect. <laughs>
1: wow that last sketch like again catholic high school girls in trouble gets all the press this one is even racier and better and funnier and this is the one that always killed me and i'm like this is why i made my friends watch this movie you have to see a couple of the sketches of this movie but eyewitness news if you can get through that sketch and not laugh we cannot be friends there's no way
0: (laughs) yeah if you uh If you can't watch that and and, 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 and not laugh, yeah, you you don't have a sense of humor, and and I'd rather not be around you.
1: (laughs) Yes. And again, anybody who got this far in the movie has already made it past Catholic High School goes in Trouble, so you have nothing to complain about.
0: Yeah, and they've made it past Danger Seekers at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You're all in now, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're all in this together. What an ending to a comedy, though. That's astounding how strong this movie ends.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's the perfect. If, if you would have put that sketch elsewhere in the film, I mean, what else are you going to end the movie with?
1: <laughs> well, I guess Danger Seekers, but that's about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Danger Seekers, you know, I mean, it's got that short one minute runtime. Mm-hmm. This is nice because it, it, it's, it's a good four minute. And I, I complained earlier about some of the longer sketches being weak in this movie and, and just kind of getting the joke getting old really quickly. Um, you know, but but this one, it's 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 funny from start to finish.
1: Yeah, and that's funny because we just did an episode on the South Park movie recently. And that was my complaint with that movie is it runs out of steam by the end. I don't think it's funny the entire way. This one starts strong, gets it fistful yam. There's a little lull, but man, does it end strong. And that's why I think it really to me, it holds up well, although I've heard the argument. Most a lot of people don't think it holds up. I think
0: like I like I had said earlier. Um, you basically got 20 little kind of sketches in this film. And I, I think from just rewatching it, that 13 or 14 of them st- uh, hold up really well still. And, and there's, you know, so I, I think I think about two thirds or more of this movie, um, just volume wise, on as far as number of sketches is really great. Um, more than that in the runtime of the movie, obviously, because Fistful of Yen takes up more than a third of the runtime of the entire film. And that's just Gold to me. I, I think it's hilarious. I, you know, you would like you said a lot of people don't like that part of the film. I, I think it's one of the best parts of the movie. I, I don't think this movie would be the same without the long kind of runtime. You know, mock movie in the middle. I, I, I think that's it's important that that was in this film.
1: Yeah, and again, this movie is for people with a specific type of sense of humor. It's not a sense of humor that really exists that much anymore. Like, it's funny when I write my comedy articles for a younger audience. It doesn't always fly because people aren't used to comedians being that blunt with stuff. It's kind of funny. That's not how you do stuff anymore. But I love the Kentucky Fried movie. I love that it exists even more. I wish it was better known. Like, they've tried other movies like this in the past. They did Amazon Women on the Moon in the 80s. They did one, I think, called Movie 43 about 10 years ago. Those have their moments, but they're nowhere near as strong as this one is, I don't think. Now, I I got to say, I, I love
0: Amazon Women on the Moon, too. It's, it's not as strong as Kentucky Fried movie. That, that movie's got some really hilarious moments. Uh, movie 43, um, eh, it had its moments, too. I, I, j- just to watch a, an Oscar-nominated actor sit across a dinner table from an Oscar winning actress with testicles attached to his chin. It's worth the price of admission.
1: Yeah. I like parts of movie 43. I really like parts of Amazon women on the moon with Amazon with a movie 43. I think they made the mistake of, they just are being dirty just to be dirty. A lot of the times.
0: Yeah. It it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't clever. It was just, you know, (laughs) let's make this as lowbrow as we can, but not really make it clever.
1: Yeah, and again, this movie had a bunch of material that had already been used on stage. They already knew it worked for an audience. And plus, the Zucker Brothers and Abe Abrams, at their prime, were writing funnier things than anybody probably has ever written in movies. So it's like, this one has a lot more wit and intelligence behind it on top of the dirtiness and the porniness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the dirtiness and porniness is done really witty. <laughs> <laughs> eyewitness news once again one of the greatest pieces of celluloid ever put in into a movie
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm I'm gonna agree with you there i I think this whole film uh from start to finish is is you know it like I, we've said it over and over again it has its lulls but I, I i just think as a whole package it's a strong movie still i think it still mostly holds up and and is is really really great
1: yeah, and I agree with you 100%, and just also reiterate how influential this movie was to a lot of people that wrote comedy later, movies that came out later, like Quentin Tarantino loves this movie, and then Airplane and the Naked Gun were such big movies, but again, they only exist because this came first, and this set the uh, tone and like the foundation of that type of comedy. So this one really needs the respect out there, even though, yeah, it might not be for all taste, but man, was this an important movie for that type of comedy.
0: You want to have Airplane. You want to have those films because if these guys didn't make this movie first, they would have never gotten greenlit for anything else. Um, and, and it's a really, this kind of comedy, uh, you just don't, you don't see it anymore. And, and it's, it's, a, it's sad. I don't know that it would work anymore though with the audience of today. Um, but I, but I love these films. I, I, I love all the, the Zucker Abrams films and, uh, this one, this is the one that started it all, and, and it's a great movie, and I think it's it still holds up wonderfully.
1: Yeah, and again, I don't think that's a if, – if you say the movie wouldn't really work with the audience of today, my argument is always that's not the problem so much with the movie. That's the problem more so with the audience.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I I can agree there.
1: All right, do you have anything else to add about uh, the, the infamous KFM before we sign out here?
0: You know, just uh, – it's been a pleasure uh, talking about this movie with you today. It's it's one of my all-time favorites. It's been really fun for me to, to go through and just rewatch it a few times and, and make notes and, and, and research some of the scenes. Uh, it's been a really fun ride just uh, revisiting this, so, so I appreciate it. I, I thank you for having me. Um, but yeah, definitely, this is one that, uh, that shaped the sense of humor that I still have to this day, and uh, I, I think it's classic.
1: Yeah, and I know you were excited to uh, talk about this movie. I'm so excited that, uh, I'm so happy that you uh, were able to rewatch it and relive uh, some of your glory days as a filth mouth comedian. And uh, once again, I want to thank you, Jeff, for when I was a child teaching me the word buttfuck. Once again, you don't know how special that was to me.
0: And it's one that will stick with you forever there.
1: <laughs> it's the name of my dog, all thanks to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, give buttfuck a biscuit for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will all right and once again this is staff picks my name is mario lanza if you need to reach me you can reach me at staff podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at mario j lanza and until next time i'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love and i'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about him as always remember this podcast is not intended to foster a belief in astrology but merely to support people who cannot take responsibility for their own lives i'll talk to you guys later bye
0: Ha <laughs> hey, what the fuck ha 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 ha
1: ha